This week, I'm joined by Deja Lett of the Deja Lett team, powered by Keller Williams. Known Deja since I was in the business. She's a high-performing agent. We have a great conversation about her start in the business, building a team, her keys to success. I think whether or not you're in real estate or just the business in general, you'll get a lot of value out of our conversation. So this is the Randy Forcier podcast. If you can do me a favor and subscribe on YouTube, Apple, or Spotify, I would appreciate it. Follow the podcast on social media, on Facebook and Instagram. That would be great. Appreciate the support. Thanks for watching. Hope you enjoy. Okay, I'm joined by Deja Lett of the Deja Lett team. Hey, how you doing? Hey, Randy, how are you doing? I'm doing good. Thanks for joining me. Uh, thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. So I think your name is synonymous with real estate in the Biddeford, Saco, Orchard area. So I wanted to talk to you all about that, your business, how you got into it. So why don't we start with that? Give me some background. So I was a military wife and stationed in Key West in 97 through 2000. And mm -hmm. I became an assistant to the number one agent down in Key West. So that's how I started in real estate. No kidding. And I became really familiar with like systems and processes and kind of got obsessed with that part of it. I moved back to Maine and started working for an oil company. And I just really wanted to have that freedom and flexibility with young kids. So yep. I just thought, well, maybe I'll get my own real estate license here in Maine. And I did in 2003. So I've been licensed in Maine since March of 2003. So I'm coming up on my 20 year anniversary. That's crazy. Yeah. Are you originally yeah. from Southern Maine? I'm from Portland. Okay. Yeah, from so, Portland. So Grew coming back to Maine was, was coming back home. Right, yeah, it was definitely yeah. coming back home for me. Yeah, mm -hmm. I was only there for a couple of years and I really did miss being home. So yeah, I came back and I got my license March 2003. Yeah. Yeah, that's crazy. So you've been in business yeah. a little bit longer than I have, but ever mm -hmm. since I've been in business, I think in 2008, we've known each other. So where mm -hmm. did you start when you came back to Maine? Did you start at one of those big local companies? I actually started with Great American Realty in 439 Main Street. They were located there. And my first year was interesting to say the least. I was yeah. pregnant with my youngest son and yeah. quit a job that gave me benefits and a weekly paycheck and just decided I was going to jump into it. And my family thought I was crazy. Did they? Yeah. Absolutely crazy. Yeah. They were like, why would you give up that for like an unknown paycheck? But I just saw this sense of freedom with my schedule, which gave me the freedom to be there for my kids, mm -hmm. you know, when they needed me. Yeah, the flexibility part is huge in our business. Right? You can work as hard as you want, but ultimately, if you need to pick up a sick kid or do something like that, you have the ability to do it. And that's not always and, the case with those other more stable jobs. Oh my gosh, no. And, and you know, those stable jobs are nice for some people, but you are definitely taking away from an employer's schedule if your children are sick and you need to go pick them up. You're taking away from somebody else's time that's counting on you. And with real estate, I could still answer the phone. I could still jump on my computer. You know, nobody needed to know that I was home with a sick kid. Yeah. yeah. They don't know that because you're still serving them. So, yeah. yeah. So you were a sales agent for... I was a sales agent for the first two years. Then I went over to All Points. That was in Scarborough. And uh, that I don't, was I don't remember that. that. They must... They yeah. mustn't have been a thing by the time I got into the business or, or maybe they were, mm. but I just don't recall all points. I don't think so. She was, it's Sandra Murray. It oh, was it her is. Company. Okay. Yeah. So then in 2005, pretty much Keller Williams had come to me and I want to say 2003 or four. Yeah. And they just were 
they were coming after the agents that, you know, good agents that really wanted that training and pretty much everybody in the office left and went to Keller Williams, and including Sandra within a year herself. Yeah. So she came too. Yeah. yeah. So and I guess, and that's the reason I don't recognize that All Points brand because that kind of folded up and, and she joined KW. So KW's been she around did. for 20 years too. They've been around, I think, a little bit more than, I think maybe last in year Maine, was there. I should say. In Maine. In yeah. Maine. Yeah. yeah. Since like the 80s um, yeah, yeah. in Texas, but in Maine for about 20 years. Yeah. yeah. So you've been with them ever since? I did leave for a brief period and it yeah. was for no fault of KW because I'm definitely pretty immersed in the culture and believe in the company and I love the support that they give us as agents. I just wanted to work closer to home. Yep. And at the time, they only had an office on Forest Avenue in Portland, and it just wasn't making sense for me to drive into the office, then drive all the way back to Saco in a Lorchard area to attend yep. to my clients, which is where they mostly were. Yeah. Um, so they did want me back. I did want to be back with them. So the agreement was if I helped them get about five agents to join me, they would open an office in Saco, and I absolutely knew that they liked that location. So I knew if I didn't get anybody to join me, they were probably going to take that location, which they did. But you were able to pull some people with you, though. I did. I brought a few agents yeah. with me, uh, yeah. and then we opened up on Main Street in Saco, and that was in 2011. But yeah. I had already been back with them for about a year. But my yeah. job was to like work to build that area up. So, yep. And that's when the Dejolette team started. That is when the Dejolette team started, and that was interesting because I went out to California with another coworker from Keller Williams, and she introduced me to an agent named Ben Kinney. So if you don't know mm -hmm. much about Ben Kinney, if you look I have up, heard that name before. He's a very big deal. Yeah. And she introduced me to him kind of being like, oh, she's one of the top agents in our office, and she sold 30 homes last year. And 30 homes is like a big deal. And, yeah. you know, this was in 2010. And he said, well, oh, wow, my team closed 250 homes last year. <laughs> and we're on track to close 500 this year. And I literally don't think I heard anything he said after that because yeah. I was like, and I just realized you don't succeed at high levels like that without other people. Mm -hmm. So born was the idea of there really wasn't a lot of teams in Maine. There was very few. And I thought there's no way. With the amount of myself that I put into it, you know, a, a transaction and a relationship with the client that I would ever be able to do those kind of numbers. But I wanted my, I wanted my systems and my standards and all those things to be able to help that many people, yep. you know, or at least more yeah. than I was doing. So I was like, I'm going to start a team here in Maine. It seems like Keller Williams is the, yeah. one of the right places to start a team, right? It seems like they absolutely promote that and encourage people to start teams. And a lot of the bigger teams that I can think of in the area are at Keller Williams. Absolutely. And honestly, Gary Keller's book, The Millionaire Real Estate Agent, really spells out exactly how to do everything real estate to be successful. I mean, it's, it is the real estate business template on how to have a successful real estate business, how to have a successful team. The mm -hmm. only problem is all of us read it. Mm -hmm. And then we try to add our own spin to it and we yeah. try to like maybe skip a step, you know, and at the end of the day, you're always like, oh, gosh, if I had just done it. And when I say skip a step, let me rephrase that because I wouldn't want anybody to think I was being irresponsible. Yeah. He always says, hire your assistant first. Yeah. And I was a really good lead generator and was pulling in three to 400 leads a month. Yeah. 
I didn't need an assistant. I needed a buyer's agent, somebody to yeah. help me fail through those leads. Right. So yeah. I hired the buyer's agent first. I did it the, the opposite way. Um, trial and error. <laughs> it, doesn't, it doesn't sound like you're recreating the wheel when you do that. It, it sounds like you're just kind of rearranging the order that it goes, but you you're felt rearranging like you, yeah. the order. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. And looking back on it, I think what I would do different now that I know what I know is maybe hire an inbound salesperson, somebody to call those people and really weed them out. Because even if you are getting three or 400 people signing up on your website every month, maybe only seven of them to 10 are actual here and now yeah. buyers or sellers, if that makes yep. sense. No, it makes a ton of sense. We've obviously worked together on some of these leads over the years, and it's very much a thing where you have to be on the phone and sifting through those leads and identifying right. who's hot and who's cold, who's just messing around on the internet. And that mm -hmm. takes a, it takes a body to do that. It takes a lot because you're going to keep calling that person until you get them on the phone. And that could take 10 times. Right. And then you get them on the phone for them. Just tell you, just looking at kitchens, <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> just, just like to look at real estate. <laughs> like, but it, that stuff's a numbers game. And absolutely. You just yeah. got to kind of keep doing it. Now, how challenging has it been over the years to find those right pieces for your team? It seems like in real estate, people kind of come and go and, you know, is that, yep. has that been a challenge for you or is, or is that something that you've found comes natural or easy? It, are you talking about the people or Just the like the team members, or... the agents, the assistants, like, yeah. Um, how does that definitely work? a challenge. It is a challenge in the sense of learning how to ask the right questions to find out if those people, there's a whole process that Keller Williams gives us to take people through, it's called a KPA. Mm -hmm. And it really does tell you where somebody fits in in your company and kind of like, who's the missing person on your bus. And mm -hmm. so I didn't start following that process for a long time. I just kind of went by, oh, you know, so-and-so needs a job doing, you know, some admin paperwork. And as long as I could train them and they seemed bright enough, that was kind of the path that I went. And yep. over the years, I've realized that that just, again, trial and error. So you got to keep the bench warm. You always have to have good communication with several agents, your co-brokes from other companies and things like that. And in speaking of your success publicly, socially, in the platforms like Facebook and you know, Instagram, TikTok now, and all these other places in a way that shows that you're grateful for the success you have and you're humble, but you're giving kind of like a little like, hey, look what I built, right? Perfect. That attracts people. So most of the time people do come to me and ask if they can join my team. Yeah. It's rare that I'm having to go out there to find people. Yeah. So, but team members come and go. And here's what you've got to learn as anybody that's thinking of starting a real estate team mm -hmm. is... As long as when they are with you, you are teaching them how to do real estate properly. And when I say properly, how to speak to your co-brokes, how to treat your co-brokes, how mm -hmm. to co-broke a deal to, you know, to get your client and their client to the closing table, because that's ultimately where they want to go. Being ethical, doing the right things, all that stuff. I'm okay if somebody's on my team for a, a year and they decide they want to go off on their own and grow yeah. and actually encourage and support that. So that's happened several times, but I know that when they were with me, I know that they learned systems, processes, taking care of their clients, playing offense. I call it all the time on my team. I like to use a lot of sports analogies. Yep. Playing offense is calling your clients, let them know what's going on before they're calling you to ask you what's happening in a transaction, because yeah. that phone call is a minute long, but when they're calling you, it's about 15 minutes long. So yeah. just really teaching agents how to care about their clients and 
stay ahead of the transaction as much as they can, bulletproofing the transaction, yep. being a good co-broke, that's huge. Can relate to it's all a, that stuff. Oh, you, you got it. Yeah. It's, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's stuff so important. It makes a huge difference in mm -hmm. how the transaction flows. Absolutely. Yeah. So you'd say that's the value of the team, right? Providing all of that stuff. All the resources, the leads, systems, dialer systems, two assistants. I mean, I'm available to answer their questions pretty much yeah. whenever they need me. What are the things that you're trying to do different in 2023? Are there, are, do you have any new initiatives or things that you're trying to improve on or, or do differently in your business? I'm really trying to break my day down into an hour on of really focused, like whether it's following up on people that have come into my system, mm -hmm. uh, hour of client care. I find that I work better in smaller, you know, when they say lead generation and lead follow up for like three hours, like I don't know anybody that can stay on a task for three hours. Yeah, three so, hours is a long time. It is to do it straight, to do it yep. straight, breaking it up throughout the day and making something more bite-sized, I guess, for me, mm -hmm. I feel a little bit more intentional mm -hmm. being more focused on past clients and current clients. And then this year I want to do a lot more for past clients being like, you know, whether it's a client appreciation party, things like that. I just really want to focus on the people that have worked with me yeah. several times over that refer a lot of business to me and trying to keep things smaller. Yeah. You know, yep. And that's pretty much it. Focusing on local, yeah. providing, we've been working on local guides for Saco, Biddeford and the Orchard. So we have our Saco one done where if somebody's coming to that area to move, just kind of giving them a whole guide on places to go, things to do, you know. And there's a ton of people that are over the years, oh there's been a ton of relocations to our area. Absolutely. So that, I think that's valuable information to share for sure. Yeah, so we've got Saco done. We're almost done with Old Orchard and Bedford. No. Obviously, there's a little bit of cross cross yeah. businesses in those three towns that, you know, somebody from Saco, I mean, wouldn't, wouldn't be opposed to probably going out to dinner in Old Orchard or Bedford either. But oh, Definitely. Yeah, yeah, it's very much like a region. Bedford, Saco, Old Orchard mm -hmm. is very much like a, a tight-knit yep. area. And Absolutely. People bump around between those, those three towns all the time. And I love now, those three towns. <laughs> we did the, God, what, what was the oh, the pumpkin did, festival? The pumpkin festival. That honestly feels like it was not that long ago. It was that October. It, was, you know, well, it, was like it wasn't that long ago. Three yeah, months. Right? Yeah, right. But uh, so you're trying to do more stuff like that. We were out in the community, like, like Main that. Street type stuff. Yes. Yes. And you know what? Did you not have fun at that event? That was a great event. That was, was a, a perfect fall day. I mean, sun was out. It was, it was super absolutely warm. Perfect. People all over the place. If you haven't and been to the pumpkin festival. we had a great festival, setup. Perfect setup, right in front of the post office, not far from my old office. Yeah, it was a great spot. I was, I was glad to have done that with you. A ton of people came through, and it was just nice, nice to meet people in the community. I nice think to meet we, people? Yeah. Mm -hmm. meet people. And you have I a lot saw. of people that knew you from working with you, and a lot of people that, like, a lot of my clients Same were thing. coming through with their grandkids or kids. And, you know, it is nice to be seen in your community because people know that you care. And you're Definitely. taking an active role in events that are happening in your area. I've been doing that event for so many years. It's mm -hmm. one of my favorites. Like I literally have a whole file of where we order our stuff and yeah. what to do. And every year I'm like, okay, next year we need more bags stuffed. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we, we really out. went through our stuff very fast. <laughs> we did. And I think every like, year it grows. Yeah. But yeah, like you said, it was nice to just be out there in front of the public and then see past clients come by and you're just catching up. And it was a great event. So I was happy to be, be part of that. Nice. I was What's... glad you came with us. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> What's, what do you think is going on with the market right now? Do people ask you that all the time? Like someone's like, Hey, what's going on with the market right now? Is it a bad time to buy? You know? Yeah. 
How do you People ask that me that all the time. You know, here's my perspective. So I've been through, this is like my third shift in the market, I suppose mm -hmm. you could say. When the market crashed in 2008, my business grew. Mm -hmm. And that's just because it doesn't really matter the market you're in. There's always an opportunity for somebody. When you think about the people that are renting and they say, well, the interest rates are high. Well, when you're paying your, your rent, you're paying a hundred percent interest. Mm -hmm. So my perspective is real estate is I think the fastest means to financial security for many people. And I'll stand on that forever, like my whole career. So I always think that it's a great time to buy or sell. Now, when I think about what's really going on locally, I see it still being very much a seller's market or seller, mm -hmm. it's advantages to the seller. Still a lot of areas like the area that we're in, Saco, Biddeford, Old Orchard, you're still seeing bidding wars. I do think that prices are going to soften and or they have been softening and continue to soften. So mm -hmm. I have a lot of people that are wanting to sell now with the May 22 mindset. They think that they're still going to get that kind of price and that kind of bidding war. And, and they're not, I mean, they're, if they're still pricing it correctly for the market that they're in now, they'll probably still get multiple offers. I do think it's a little bit more of an even playing field. I feel like more buyers are actually coming back out of the woodworks. They feel a little bit more confident in their ability to ask for some closing costs from the seller or any concessions from the seller. Yeah, that was and off the table cases, for a while. You couldn't ask for a closing cost for, for a period of time. You could barely even ask for anything. Mm -hmm. I mean, I saw so many buyers waiving home inspections and, you know, in my perspective on that, I that's a hard one. I mean, if yeah. I'm on the sell side, obviously I love to see that offer, but if I'm on the buy side, I want my buyer to have a home inspection. Yeah. You know, and yeah. so those things were just really off the table for buyers. So right now I'm seeing buyers are getting their home inspection. They're maybe not in the areas that I've been putting a lot of deals together lately, which has been Saco, Biddeford, Orchard. Haven't seen the price really coming down a ton. They're still seemingly getting their asking price and a little over, but not with like several, several offers, maybe yeah. two offers as opposed to 15. Um, but the sellers are definitely giving them the home inspection timeframes that they're asking for. I'm seeing buyers that were FHA and VA that were not maybe feeling like they had a chance because people were coming in with cash and conventional. I'm seeing that they're back at the table again. Yeah. So I think there's a little bit more buyer confidence and, and they should be more confident right now. FHA is a great loan for people. And mm -hmm. for a couple of years, we weren't doing a ton of FHA loans outside of people buying multifamily properties. Right. But now we're starting to see those borrowers, like you said, feel confident that they can go out there in this market. You know, whether or not that's true or how fast those people go under contracts, I guess yet to be seen. But there is a little bit more hope that those mm -hmm. type of buyers can participate in this market, which is nice. Absolutely. I mean, the inventory is still very low. Yes, it, that's, that's, that's what's driving those prices up when really, because there's, you know, we'll just say 10 buyers to one house. Mm -hmm. I are maybe no. even in some cases more than that, you know, there's just, there's not a lot of inventory, but there are a lot of buyers that are pre-approved, ready, willing, and able, and just no inventory. So if you're thinking of selling, it still is a good time, but I do, I do think sellers are still kind of in the driver's yeah. seat a tiny bit price-wise. Yeah. So. Yeah. And I'm hoping that yeah, the same thing, all the same stuff. Yeah, I've gonna have buyers that are more confident in what they can do. I have people making offers and just just the other day, 
had a buyer made a, make an offer on a place in Wyndham and there was like 24 offers, you know, and they offered well above listing price. That stuff is still happening in the certain. It certain is still point. happening in certain areas. Yeah. But I've had mm -hmm. other people go under contract where they were just one or two offers and mm -hmm. you have an FHA buyer under contract right now, which is great. So I don't know. I'm hopeful, you know, and I know that there's a lot of people that too. are getting ready for the spring market, right? Yeah. A busy couple of weeks of people reaching out saying, Hey, I want to buy in the spring. I want to buy in the summer. And that's what people mm -hmm. should be doing right now is reaching out to people like me so I can run their numbers and mm -hmm. send them on their way. We just got to hope that some stuff hits the market. You know, we got to hope that people are looking to move and yeah. downsize or whatever they're looking to do just so there's something for these people to buy. Exactly. And I think that's been probably the biggest challenge because I literally have an enormous list of sellers that have contacted me over the past like five years. I mean, I've been keeping track of everybody that's mm -hmm. kept, you know, that's reached out to me to come and give them a market analysis. I have a whole, you know, I just keep track of all that stuff. But in the past five years, the thing that would stop them was where were they going to go next? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, unless what they were moving do? like out of state and they had, like if they had to move, there was a life change in there. If something changed in their life and they had to move, those ones were always easier to list, but the ones that want to, but they're like, where am I going? And they don't have, we don't have enough inventory. So even if they want to do new construction, that's backed up. Definitely. You know, that that's a process. Somebody that wants to move and move into a brand new house that isn't built yet, they're probably a good year or so out. So it's like the timing of all that. That's pretty hard yeah. for a seller to take that all in, you know, and that's well, where what I they do is play. they don't sell. They just, they, they just, just don't sell. Yeah. Right. And they have a bunch of equity and then they get a home equity loan and they finish off their kitchens or they do an exactly. addition or they finish off their basement. And then it just further perpetuates this issue of no inventory. So I don't know. I, hopefully, they, hopefully and, then they stay, and then they stay and then they stay because they like move, they move their parents in with them or they let their kids come back from college and move in because they've created this extra living space. And yeah. You know, and that's happening. When I meet with people that are in that situation, I really try to like really, I don't want, I don't want to say discourage them, but really just mm -hmm. kind of like say, so you want to build and you don't have the land yet. So we got to find the land and we got to find the builder, you know, and I try to help them see like, this isn't, I'll do my part to make it as easy as I possibly can, as far as selling and buying at the same time. I'm usually quite good at that and can time mm -hmm. that right. But selling and buying of building a new construction, that timing is just, I mean, I feel like somebody's going to be homeless for a little while. Well, every new construction I've seen in the past five years has gone longer. They've than been the homeless. For a yeah. Bit. <laughs> yeah. Like, nothing ever. I mean, I think I have nothing. a new construction that's going right now. It was supposed to close in, in December. Then it was January, February. Now it skipped March and it's April. And who knows if that's even going to happen. And it just seems like every mm -hmm. transaction that involves a new build is some story. I had one close last week. That was supposed to close in November. And I have one closing this week that was supposed to close in October. And they're all new construction. It's just finding, you know, like supplies have gone up or limited supplies and workers and just all those things have to line up perfectly. And and I guess when you're a real estate agent that's used to being able to kind of like navigate things or have some control over a situation, I have like zero over a that builder. one. Yeah. Like none. And I wish I could say I did, but I just don't. So. Those people are in a position like the builders, contractors, those people are in a position to drag their feet or take their time. And we experience it with the renovation of our office and they really have no repercussions because everyone needs them more than they need everyone else at this yeah. point. So you've got that, gonna, right. They're not going to listen to us at this point, but I appreciate right. what you said about it's discouraging, but not discouraging. But I think what it really is, is just setting realistic expectations with people. 
because I yeah. think people are like, oh yeah, I'm just going to buy a piece of land. I'm going to build a house on it. And it's easy. Just kind of like people come to me and like, oh, I'm just going to do a renovation loan. We can redo the kitchen. It's like, we can do all <laughs> that stuff, but we just need to know that yeah. there's some moving parts that are outside of our control. And if you set the expectations and they still decide to do that, then that's fine. You can sleep yeah. good at night knowing that yeah. you set the expectations. But yeah, none of that stuff is easy in this market right now for all those reasons that we mentioned. No, and I don't, like I said, I don't try to discourage. I just, I'm very factual. And I think over the years when I was a newborn in real estate, so to speak, <laughs> I didn't know how to like, it's like, I knew that I needed to explain these things to people, but I was like, oh, I'm going to turn them off, you know, like from wanting to do this. And I feel like I just didn't have it in me skill set wise and all the tools in my toolbox that I have now to be able to explain mm -hmm. that. And now I'm just, I'm so direct sometimes that I have to like, tone myself down a bit because I'm worried that I might be coming off too harsh, yeah. you know, but at the end of the day, I've always believed that, you know, the information that I'm giving people is helping them make the best and most informative decisions for themselves. So mm -hmm. even if the information is not what they wanted to hear, yeah. it's what's reality of what's happening in a the marketplace. And, and, and like I said, so many people come to me and do that whole well, I'm going to buy a piece of land. Well, how are you going to buy the land? I'm going to finance it. I'm like, did you find somebody that's going to finance land for you? And you know, yeah. like, like a big down payment. You're, yeah. You know. you know, Oh, we need to sell the house to be able to build. Oh, where are you guys going when the house sells? Yeah. Because the house that's being built isn't, they're probably not going to line up, yeah. you know, and trying to explain to them that during that time, if a buyer, well, what, maybe the buyer will wait. If the buyer is going to wait for your house for a year for your other house to be built, interest rates could change or something else could come on that catches their attention. That's less than your home. It's just like, there's, yeah. it's just leaving too much space in between the start and finish line. So really trying to help people make those decisions and, and people come back to me all the time and say, you know, appreciate all the information. I think we're going to sit tight for now, but here's the best part two years later or three years later, or their family member wants to sell or buy and they're, they're coming back to me or they're referring me because they know that I gave them their options. Yeah. They appreciate so. how candid you were and yeah. the expectations you said. So definitely can appreciate that. Yeah, um, definitely. Before we go, I wanted to ask you what advice you would give to anyone that's new in the business and probably something you tell your newer team members, what advice would you give to them on how to be as successful as possible? Tell everybody you're in real estate. Don't be a secret agent. Like literally tell everybody. We didn't mention it in this podcast, but I'm also licensed in Florida. So mm -hmm. I come down here and hang out for a little bit, come back to Maine. I feel like I'm a brand new real estate agent again with that same energy level that I had when I was a new agent in Maine with 20 years of experience. So it's really mm -hmm. cool to yeah. talk to everybody. I brought my dogs to the groomers. I left my business card. I tell everybody I'm in real estate. No. And so telling everybody that just don't be a secret agent, tell everybody, talk about the real estate market. And if anybody asks you how the market is, the market is never bad. Like, it drives me crazy when people say the real estate market's bad. The market is never bad. There's always an opportunity. You know, yeah. it's just whether you're going to benefit from the opportunity or not. But, you yeah. know, there's always opportunity. So that would be my first advice. Don't be a secret agent. Secondly, um, start your database as soon as possible. I'm really lucky to be with a company that provides me with a client relationship management system. Mm -hmm. You need to collect people's names and phone numbers and emails and you need to stay top of mind awareness with these people, develop your social media strategy. It's really kind of making sure you put out a couple messages, you know, maybe start off a couple times a week and build yourself up to a few times a day where you're putting some content out there. Come from contribution to the people around you, 
and just yeah. know that you're there to help them. You know, you are helping people with the biggest financial decision of their life, whether they're buying or selling and just yep. know that you're there to help people yep. and stay organized organization. Yes. So Google drive is a big one for me. Mm-hmm. And when I tell you, I'm the, I am the queen of systems and processes. I really <laughs> you really know. are. I know. <laughs> I am. I, know. Uh, I keep track of everything and yep. everything has a home within Google drive. So mm-hmm. Those, that'd be like, I guess that's more than one piece of advice. It's like four that's or five. That's the Deja Let game plan to being successful. But honestly, <laughs> I've had a few people on the podcast and I think this is episode 40-ish. Yeah. And the whole organization database thing, that stuff is very important to me. And not it's everyone huge. mentions that, but I remember conversations I have with people. I take notes on stuff. I know exactly mm-hmm. when to follow up with people. I know yes. the anniversaries and birthdays and you know, Same I have here. plans for everyone I talk to. If someone says yeah. they're not ready right now, I just started a new job. Reach out to me in two years. I will reach out to them in two years. And mm-hmm. I feel like if you you'll do reach that, out to them in 22 months or something yeah, yeah, like exactly. that. Yeah, Edible. not in two years. Because yeah. I have a bunch of people that are self-employed and are waiting to file their 2022 taxes mm-hmm. to qualify for a mortgage. You, you bet that I have reminders to reach out to those people in March Absolutely. and kind of check in. So I think that that's good advice that applies to my business, but certainly applies. It's anybody's business. And really, honestly, I mean, Keller Williams taught me in 2005. And I think when I, when I left temporarily and then came back to them, the biggest thing that stood out to me was your business is your database. And, Mm -hmm. and at the end of the day, it's something tangible that I could sell. Mm -hmm. If I retire, I can sell that. So my database is really important to me. Over the years, I've gotten better at keeping track of anniversaries and birthdays and like favorite restaurants, just keeping notes on our clients and then using tags. Now, I don't know if you use tags, if your database allows yeah. for tags. Yep. So yeah. I can tag somebody that said, you know, sold in 2022 or just, you know, tag of and uh, you can, the purpose is so you can sort that and filter it. So you better can sort and, it. You know, yeah. yeah. Because the, the person that can filter and sort their database, the best is the winner. Meaning yep. like you're going to have a great relationship with the people that are in that database and your past clients, if you can sort through that data. So. Yeah. I'm glad well, that you like that because it's kind of like the boring side of what I do, but it's actually probably the sexiest part of what I do is keeping, <laughs> keeping track of people and their notes and what's happening. You know in how many world. people I, I mean, I obviously do a lot of business with a lot of different realtors yeah. and there is this wide range of people and how they operate mm-hmm. when it comes to this stuff. I have mm-hmm. people that keep a calendar on a napkin and, you know, like <laughs> write notes on piece of paper they throw in their drawer and hope that they see it when the time okay. comes, you mm-hmm. know, but then there's the other end of the spectrum. It sounds like me and you were a little bit more organized and I just yeah. think it's such a, such a better way to, to operate. It is. Know. It is. So thanks for sharing that. I appreciate it. And honestly, great conversation. It's fun hearing your whole story and all the success that you had. So I appreciate you you coming on. All right. I appreciate you having me. Yeah, we'll do it again sometime. Sounds good. All All right. Thanks. See ya.